All right, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? I am obviously not Alan. That's right. Thank you. Um, Alan is away. Alana, who's off at college, has spring break this week. They're taking some time with their family this week. Uh, know this. He is praying for us and praying for me, and he longs to be with you. He loves this church body. That is absolutely a fact. Um, <clears throat> so today I've got an interesting task, and I'm going to start by saying this. So many times when God calls me to preach in main service, I go, uh-uh, no, not going to do it, God. Don't want to do it. Do y'all struggle that way too sometimes when God calls you to something? When you stick a class called Experiencing God, and it would say that whenever he calls you to something, there's always a crisis of belief, a moment when you go, do I trust you or not trust you in this? And I resisted this. Alan sent out a thing, and it was, man, it, it's shameful, honestly. I'll just be honest with you, because he said, hey, man, I need some help, guys. I know this is short notice. Can one of you guys preach? And David did the right thing right away. He goes, man, we got you. One of us will get it. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. No. I'm not talking. I, I, got, I just got back from the you know, lift, lift tour last week. It was a fantastic time. We had some amazing music and stuff like that. Good time together. <clears throat> but uh, I was like, too busy, too busy to do what God wants me to do. So, uh, but we were sitting in, in one of the meetings I was in this last two weeks ago, and, and we started talking about what it is. And, and I'm reading from Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47 which is about the life of the church. And I'll talk about this more in just a minute, but I have a very unique window where I get to look at the life of living hope. Uh, I've been here longer than a whole lot of people have. I was here right after it began. And I have an idea what we're about or what we should be about, what we've been about and what we're going to be about. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why I brought this up here. But I'm excited about it because here's what I know. Here's what I know that's important about the church because I don't know if you've noticed it, but the world is broken. With everything that's going on, COVID, the war in the Ukraine, racial injustices, problems with the government, abortion, I could go on and on and on, correct? I mean, I, there, there was one of yours that you're thinking in your head right now that I didn't say, correct? Because the list goes on forever. <clears throat> but here's the deal. Right now, the, the world, at least in my lifetime, is more divided than I think it's ever been. I'm a little bit over 50 years old. I've seen a little bit of life. But, you know, I wasn't alive during the, the racial stuff in the 50s and 60s. I wasn't alive during World War II. And despite what my youth think, I don't, wasn't around during the Civil War. Okay? Th those were times when this country was divided. But right now, we, we divide on everything we possibly can. If there is some reason to disassociate ourselves with people, we jump on it. And that is the thing that we cling to. And I'm going to tell you that right now, what our world needs is a little more unity and a lot more Jesus. Where are they going to get that from, though? Amen. But where are they going to get that from, guys? Where's our nation got to look to if it can't look to the one place that can truly have unity? There's nowhere else in the world. I don't care what organization you have. You can have an organization that's called unity.org, and it will not bring unity like the church should bring unity. Right? I don't know if that's a real place. Don't go look it up. There's no telling what that... But, okay, but what I'm telling you, though, is the church, when it functions correctly, gives the world something to mimic. It gives them something to look at and say, whatever we're looking for, it could be like that. But when we don't function that way, they have nowhere else to look. And so unity has to start with us. Of course it has to start with us. You know, because here's the deal. God in his infinite wisdom chose to use us to be the solution. And so he created the church. And one thing I want you to get is that the church has been and always will be God's biggest vehicle on earth to extend his grace to a lost and dying world. He intends to use me and you. And the funny thing is, man, this is a, I'm, I can just talk about this body, this part of God's body alone. This is a big group of messed up, jacked up, rebellious, sinful people. And I'm talking about me more than y'all. That's us. But he said, I'm going to give them grace. And because of that grace, they're going to get to show grace to a world and I'll be known because of it. That's what he wants to use us for. But we get caught up in everything else in the world instead of just being the church. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like for Living Hope to be the church. Not a, not a mega church, not a church whose name is known around the world, just an ordinary church. A church that, that is about the thing God is about. And a church that wants his name to be known. Acts 2 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we come to you today and we recognize that your word is authority, your word is true. It is the example of how we should live our lives. And while this may not be specifically prescriptive, it is descriptive of how we should be as a body. So we pray today that as I teach and as we learn and grow together, God, I pray that you would open our ears, that you would help us get what it looks like for living hope to be what the church is about. Help us, God, I pray. Thank you for your word. Amen. So here's what I want you to understand, that this scripture lines out, it's not some type of Christian group who had it all together. Yeah, if you know anybody in the room, you recognize that we don't have it all together. And so if we have to have it all together first, this is just not happening. But like I said in the beginning, these are common people. But what they did is, is they saw that devoting themselves to learning about God and caring for one another wasn't something that only super Christians did. But it was a normal, ordinary response to what God had done for them. And I want us to get that it should be ordinary as we study God's word. It says this, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The church should be devoted to knowing God's word. And I'm not saying that we all should be theologians. Uh, We have some guys here that are really, really great at studying the Bible and understanding it and giving us interpretations and things like that. And praise God for them. We need them. But every one of us ought to be learning God's word, understanding it, figuring out how to apply it in our lives. Because here's the thing that we know, we've taught this for years. You can do the best Bible study that you want to. You can understand everything about the Greek and get nothing out of it if you don't apply it. It does not matter if you're the smartest person in the room about the Bible if you don't do something in your life with that word. It's got to be the authority on how we live. That was a little free. I didn't intend to say that. But, so, but there is a reason. We want you to help, help you know these things. That's why we have Sunday classes. We have morning classes for kids and adults where we talk about how to you know, look at God's word. What does it mean? How can you study it for yourself? There's churches out there right now that will tell you, you don't need to study the word. We'll tell you what you ought to know. Run. Run. Anybody that stands in the pulpit is a man. And he's fallible. God's word's not. There, there's things that get said in pulpits all over the world unintentionally that are incorrect. If they say it's in, and it's wrong and it disagrees with God's word, God's word is right and they're liars in that moment. Okay? And so we've got to understand how to handle God's word ourselves. And so we give you these tools, but you've got to avail yourself of them. You've got to avail yourself of things like, like our Bible studies that we have upstairs. The youth have things at 605 and, and classes. The youth can be going to one of the, the classes that we have upstairs on Sunday mornings. You need to be in D groups and in hope groups where while community is a bigger part of some of those things, there is an aspect of what do I do with God's word? Because the, the truth is, this is not open for any interpretation that you want it to be. This says what it says, whether we like it or not. And we need to figure out what to do with it. But I do want to say something um, <clears throat> It says here, it says, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what I'm about to say may say, sound scandalous at first, but hear me out. And if you have a problem with it, you can come to me after the thing and say, wait, help me understand that better. Just coming to church or coming to a class and sitting in a seat has no value in and of itself. Zero. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, many of you know that my mom and my wife are cancer survivors. They're 10 plus years, praise God. We have many family and friends in this body who have had struggles with cancer or their family, extended family, have have had cancer and struggled with it. Some have even succumbed to it. And I hate cancer, y'all. It's terrible. But here's what I know. Here's what I mean. How ridiculous would it be for them to have gone to the doctor's appointment, sit in the doctor's office, get their diagnosis, listen to all that the doctor said, You need chemo or surgery or medications or radiation. We're going to change your eating style. We're going to change your lifestyle. And they go, cool, got it. Walk up and go out and do nothing that the doctor said to do. I wouldn't be able to sit up here and we've got 10 plus years right now. It'd be foolishness. We see that as, as lunacy. But many people that hear my voice today, that hear pastors all over the world today, are going to hear what's said from God's word, walk out, and do nothing different with what God said. It's foolishness, guys. 
It's foolishness. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Listen to me. Your sin's a bigger deal than cancer. Cancer may kill you. Sin will send you to hell. Okay? So you've got to get this, man. We have got to go to church and go do more than just stand around. In a book that we read as a staff, some other people are reading this as well. Um, it's called Rediscover Church. Free ad, real quick. If you're one of the people that's hurting in this room about what all has gone on with COVID and things like that and just disillusioned a little bit of the church, I highly recommend this book. There's some things that are going to point you into truth and help you understand and remember what we're supposed to be about and what church is supposed to be about. It is not a perfect book. You know why? Because this is the only one that is. So there's things in this book that I disagree with that I don't think are perfect. There's one chapter in here that we as a staff, when we read it, went, eh. It wasn't bad. It just, hmm. You know, but so at any rate, in this book, though, one of the things that he talks about is um, he says when he became a believer, he had some friends who and most of you probably have this happen. They felt the need to report to them when they went to church. You know, they'd go once or twice a year. They'd come. Hey, I just want to tell you we went to church this Sunday. Good. Right. And, if, you know, a lot of us would think, well, that's good. They're going. They're hearing something. Maybe something will change. Maybe they'll hear something that Sunday and go. And he said something fairly scandalous in it. He said, maybe you shouldn't go to church. I mean, if you're just going to go there and hear what they say and not believe the words that are taught or believe what you're singing or put into application the things that are being said from the Bible, don't you have something you'd rather do? And they were like, <laughs> Yes. And they stopped going to church entirely. And that's scary, right? That's what our fear is, right? If we tell them something like that. Yeah, well, what happened was they got away from church. They got away from their idea that this checklist thing was making them good because they went every once in a while. And I think the Holy Spirit started working. They got convicted. And they went to a different church where they sat under teaching that they would listen to, and they became followers of Christ. Because just going there and sitting there doesn't matter if you're not going to listen and learn and grow. If you're not going to apply it and obtain it, you know, apprehend it for yourself. But really good book. Highly recommended. If you have questions about it, holler at me after because I do recommend this one. This one first, then this one after. But uh, James 1.22 says it this way. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. I cannot stand... When my kids lie to me. My kids don't lie to me. They're over there. I'm just, they never lie anymore. <laughs> I have to pay them money every time or something. I think they said that, that I'm supposed to pay them money when I use them in a sermon. But I don't. But um, they, they get a sandwich today. But, but I can't stand when people lie. Because here's the thing. Most people are pretty bad at it, right? They lie to you, and it's like, you're lying. Right? Y'all quit looking at each other. I see some of y'all looking... <laughs> At your kids and stuff. Quit. But, but here, here's what I do. Now listen to me. I can't stand it because it's easy to figure out. But there is one person that lies to me very, very well that I don't always catch that they're lying. And it's me. And that's why it says be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I'm lying to myself if I think I'm good. I'm lying to myself if I think I've got it all figured out. I'm lying to myself if I think I'm doing enough. If I'm, not, if I'm just reading God's word, if I'm just coming and I'm not allowing it to transform my life. And I lie to myself well because I want to believe those lies. And so we've got to take these things and apply them. We've got to trust that God's word is true, that his desire for us is good for us and for his kingdom. And we have to trust him in him even when it's scary. But they says, the word here says that they devoted themselves to it. This, this, this like kind of images a constant di diligence towards the apostles' teaching. Another under, uh, way to understand the word better would be that, that they gave themselves to it. You think of somebody when they become married, they're like, hey, I give myself to you. You give yourself to me. There is no, there's not supposed to be any separation between us, right? They gave themselves to this. They devoted themselves to it and said, like, this is mine and I'm it's. Where it says it's, whatever it says is right, whatever I say, I'm wrong if I disagree. And so <clears throat> they gave all who they were to adhering to it and what it said, and they were diligent to follow what was being taught. It also says here they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship is interesting. Koinonia is the word here. We, we've heard that word here. My son Jericho, I owe him for that one too, I guess. Uh, when he was younger, called it, hey, Dad, are we going to have those koinonia meals 
We're going to get together and eat together and hang out. He would call it cornania. I love it. I think I call it that anyway. You know, and, and one of the things that we've heard, because we are listening to you, is we've had a few people come to us and say, hey, man, we need to do something like a koinonia meal again. Because we love that feeling of togetherness, and we certainly love eating together and hanging out. And, and they're not bad. We as a staff and, and elders have talked about it some, and we're looking at some ways to put some of our people back in rooms together because we realize that what COVID did with our natural tendencies to isolate. And so we're looking at ways kind of to push each other back together. Why? Because we want you to remember that you love each other. But, I want to say this, if we look to an event-driven thing to be the answer to what this is talking about, it will never happen. Because it's not talking about just sitting down and eating together. There's no way it means that. <coughs> Excuse me. Koinonia means more than just this fellowship idea where we get together and have a meal. You know, I grew up in a small town. I was telling Bill McGee about this earlier today. I said I was going to talk about my hometown, which is actually Bill McGee's hometown. And we grew up in a little bit different time there um but kasi texas it was an old boom town a, a long time ago before bill was there too and uh it was a fantastic place uh, in some ways it was also small town america so you get both and but the thing about it was when i learned because i was in church a lot when i was there because it was a small town there was nothing else to do and when kids got together you kind of flocked to it and came there right but just like this church and so many other little churches in so many other places, there was a little hall out back of the main church building. It was the, anybody know? Fellowship hall. That's right. That's right. And what that meant is that you went there if somebody died. <laughs> or somebody had a wedding. Or if there was some kind of birthday party that somebody rented out. Or if you were a youth, they would kick you out there on Wednesdays and Sunday nights so that you wouldn't make so much noise when the adults were learning. About right? Yeah. And that's not bad. I'm not saying, I'm not knocking it or picking on it. Um, but what I would say, if we aren't careful, we almost see fellowship as this event-driven thing. And if we're, since we're Baptist, it almost always has something to do with food, right? Well, I should say Baptist and American, right? But, but here the word koinonia means much more than just sitting down and eating a meal together. In today's passage, if, if that's all fellowship means, why would it say that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the breaking of bread and eating in, in their, each other's homes? It's not saying they ate and ate and ate. Like I said, I know we're Baptists, I know we're American, but that's not what this means here. This wasn't written just for Americans, right? Just for Baptists, the Baptist inter you know, interpretation of this. And then they ate together. And then what did they do after that? Well, they ate together. And then, well, they ate together. But no, this is more than chips and salsa. We'll get to talking about food in a minute, but hold on. Right now, this word koinonia means the fellowship, the association, the community. I love this one, the communion. And then this one was one of the things that I think is cool that Living Hope, uh, I would say, is, is struggling a little bit in right now. Used to be fantastic at, we need to get better at, is it could also mean the joint participation. They work together. That's a great one. Uh, literally, it can be translated the sharing. I have, so you have. And if it was just supposed to be getting together and having a meal, then why does it say it's three distinct ways, Right? So what is fellowship then? The fellowship was a group of people who, because of what Christ had done for them, recognized that if it weren't for the community of believers, they weren't going to make it. Or, or maybe they realized that while I could make it, the person next to me won't. You see, and because of what Christ had done, they saw it as a natural like, like consequence of what, here's what he did for me. I look around, see that you're in the same boat as me. We're partakers of the same grace. So it becomes my responsibility to see you as a brother and sister in Christ, a mother or a daughter, a father or a son. And we take care of you if you have a need. It became natural. It was ordinary. And so what did they do? You know, since God is desirous to use the church to transform the world, it should be no surprise to us that during all the things that are going on, that this testing of our faith, this testing of our solidarity is coming from our enemy to try to make us ineffective and ineffectual, right? And Satan's desire is to have us continually fighting over open-handed issues, things that we don't have to agree on. And, and man, if you look, it talks about it in this book. Some, I think anybody that's in any kind of organization knows this. With all of the stuff that's going on, all of the weirdness and the, I feel like some of the, the misdirection, the sleight of hand that's happened in places like government and, and some with the medical community and not individual, I'm not talking about doctors or anything like that. I'm talking about people that have taken and co-opted this stuff for their own agendas. We've developed this tremendous level of distrust. 
Tremendous. I, I think it's, it's been the weirdest thing I've seen. And that doesn't just stop with those people. It spills over into every area of our life. We distrust our spouses. We distrust our spiritual leaders. We distrust everybody around us. And we think everybody's playing a game where they're just trying to get themselves like a leg up. But, but here's the problem. If we don't put our faith, well, it's not a problem. Here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't put our faith in governmental leaders. We shouldn't put our faith in the people around us. And to be honest, we shouldn't put our faith and hope and trust in our spiritual leaders. We should put our hope in God, the one whose shoulders that our trust and faith should rest squarely upon. Why? Because he's not blown around by every political ideology. He's not blown around when a COVID happens or when some pandemic happens. He's been around for them all, and he wasn't shaken. He's seen wars and wars and wars. He says, we're going to see more of them. And he's not shaken. He's, he's rock solid. And we better lash our boat to him because everything and everyone else moves. And so we put our faith in him. And while the stuff is still going on and it's still hard, we can be secure. Okay. So, anyway, um, <clears throat> ultimately, I say all that to say that's what we gather around. We see this thing that is God and what he's done for us and what the community of believers could be. And we should devote ourselves to that kind of fellowship where we see ourselves in it together. I don't know another way to say it. Here we go. The breaking of bread. It talks about that. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now this is, is a fairly hotly debated topic when you talk in commentaries about what is this breaking of bread here? Is it some type of feast? Is it an agape feast? You know, where you um, remember that here's what Christ did for us. You know, it symbolizes the Last Supper where they broke bread and they had communion with, with God and uh, in part with one another. But no matter how you view this, I want us to understand that this is a cyclic thing. What would happen is they found something worth living for. And because of that things, they saw themselves as one. They, we, we see our commonality, even with people that are different than you. People from different walks of lives who, if it wasn't for this worship service, you wouldn't be in the same room with them. You know, one of the things that God kind of reminded me too is, is one of the beauties it talks about it in Rediscover Church as well. And I know it talks about it in this word. It says this. It says that there's going to be people that you're around that rub you wrong. That's a huge paraphrase. But, and if you've been around me long enough, I promise I've, I've rubbed you wrong at some point. If I haven't, I apologize. You're in a long line. I'll get to you eventually. But the truth is, that's part of the beauty of being together. Is that working through those things. And we see at the end of the day that the things that make us different pale in comparison to the thing that makes us the same. That each one of us is broken, a sinner in need of grace. And if you're a believer, a partaker of grace. You've accepted his gift of salvation. You said, hey man, I'm yours, you're mine. Oh, and so are they. Right? And being together and standing in the same room, it changes the way that we look at that. And here, when they would break bread together, they would commune with God. And because of the communion they had with God, they had communion with one another. And because of the communion that they had with one another, they met with God. You see, the thing that's happening here is because when we're loving God and loving his people, we're doing what God commanded us to do. And in fact, Jesus prayed this in John 17. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. Talking about his disciples and the believers that he had around him at that time. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. That's a big word right there. That one is a fantastic word. Look it up. I'm not going into it. If you want to be a theologian, figure out what that one is and where it also talks about it because it's a fantastic thing. It says, they may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you. Wow. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you sent me. I don't get it. I do not understand why God chose to use us to glorify a perfect being. He is perfect. Everything he does is good. He, his, when he is angry, when he is full of wrath, it is good. He is never not good, and he's just wrath now. No. His wrath is good. His discipline is good. His love is good. His correction is good. His righteousness is holy. He is perfect, and we ain't. But he says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. That by the fact that we care about how your life is going 
And not just care like it talks about in James where it's like, hey man, good luck. I hope it goes well with you. We're going to pray for you. But we see a responsibility to help each other out. This communion with God has changed how we look around and see the people next to us. Not just believers, by the way. This isn't part of this. But not just believers, but we also see the sinners out there that are still in their sin differently because we don't judge them. 2 Corinthians says that we're not to judge those inside the church. What business do we have to judge those outside the church? Right? We should be hard on each other about sin. We should be challenging each other about sin. And we ought to see a lost world and go, they do that because they don't know. And if they knew, they wouldn't do it. And so we reach at them and we bring them in. We love them in these walls. We love them outside of these walls. Why? Because we need grace just like they need grace. Sorry. I had no idea I was talking about that either. Here we go. It says they devoted themselves to prayers. And if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to tell you this. I think this is the, the, the place that we're lacking the most is prayer. I think we don't have because we don't ask. And we don't ask correctly when we do. It says here they gave themselves over to prayer. And what would it be? What would it look like if each one of us, when we were worried or we were afraid or we were sick, if we asked God, earnestly asked God to move? Not just what I want, but what he wants. I pray in concert with his will, not my will. I, I pray all the time. When I'm praying for somebody that's sick or ill, I, I think of praying for a brother recently who's, who's going through something really terrible. And when I pray for him, I say, God, I only know like a child to ask for what seems right to me. But you do what you want to do because you're God and I'm not. And so I pray for healing because it seems right, but I trust in him and whatever his answer is. And I'm not saying that like I'm good at this. I'm saying that when I'm praying right, it's like that. And when I hear things like, uh, when, I think it's in James. Let me look. Yeah, in James when it talks about Elijah praying earnestly. I hear that word earnestly. I'm like, who doesn't pray earnestly? Why would you pray if you're not going to pray earnestly? Well, because that's what we do. Most of the time we don't pray earnestly. We, we do it as a, an afterthought, not a forethought. We pray because we're having a meal, not because we want to see God do something amazing in our lives, in the lives of our lost friends, in the lives of our church, in the lives of our community. We've just given it over. COVID and the wars and all those things. Man, are we praying for them? Or are we just complaining about them? And I say we, not you, we. God's not moving because his people are not praying. It says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will turn and heal their land. It's not a perfect quote. But we don't have because we don't ask. I believe that with all my heart and soul. You know, I, I would say this. I think uh, there's some things coming up that we're trying to help us refocus on, on prayer. We've talked about it some, about a possible calling for a fast. Uh, we just saw these, you know, about praying for people that are out there in the field and stuff like that. I love one of the things that said in the video about how we're better together. We can do more together than we can do alone. It's a lot of what it's talking about here because this is our part of the local body, but that is the body, right? All believers throughout all time who've ever trusted in Jesus, we're one family. We got, we got brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now that are dying. Do we care? We post memes about it. We do stuff and we act like we did something because we went, oh, well, we put a sanction on him, man. What if we ask the one guy who can actually stop it to do something about it? Because it's not Putin and it's not Joe Biden. They're not in charge. I don't know if you noticed that. I, I know this too. I'll tell you this about cancer and stuff like that. The doctor's not in charge. God's in charge. He's God or he's not. And if we're believing in something that's not God, let's quit. Let's go out the doors and go home. But he's God, and he's the one who can do something about it. We've got to pray for our brothers and sisters that their lives would be saved, that they would be a witness in it. Not necessarily, y'all, that God would pluck them out of the situation that they're in, but he would use them in the situation they're in. But guys, we're not going to pray that. Why? Because we don't believe that about our lives. We want God to take us and snatch us out of every difficulty that we have instead of joining with us in them. I talk about these kids, to the kids all the time, to the little ones all the time, and I tell them, listen, man, you're going to have problems in your life. You want to go through them alone or you want to go through them with the all-powerful creator God of the universe. I'm not saying he's going to pluck you out of the problem you're in, but he'll be with you in that problem, and that is far, far better than being alone in it. And so pray and ask for his presence. We're going to find out in a little bit that really that's what they got. You want to know what the early church got? I'll give you a prequel. They got his presence. They got more of him. So 
But unless we see the value of asking God, we won't see him move like they did in the early church. And here's what happened, it says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, as a natural consequence of their trusting in God, all souls, hear it, not just believers, everyone was amazed. They saw what was going on. They saw people from different walks of life living in community, normally people that would hate each other, not just tolerating each other, but clearly loving one another. And they were all amazed, everyone, including the people that were doing it. I love that. Sometimes when you're in the middle of what God's doing, you're like, I have no idea why I'm here, but it is fantastic. And sometimes you're like, I have no idea why I'm here and I hate it, but God's moving, so it's okay. Right? So here's what happened. I believe because of the closeness they had with God and one another, God's presence was with them. And they saw him do amazing things through his people. But here, the apostles did not get the glory. It says he did wonders and signs through the apostles. It wasn't them. It was him. It was him the entire time. And if we devote ourselves to, to these things, prayer, we need to ask him, God, give me you. What I want in this is you. Here's what I'd like, but no matter what, you. I, you remember when, when Moses went to God and God said, hey, listen, man, I, I'm going to send you all the promised land because I swore by myself and I'd do everything I ever said I would do. But you're going to go without me because I'll kill you if I go with you. That's in scripture. That's a wild, hard word. If I go with you, I'm going to destroy you. And Moses said the most powerful thing. I think it's just one of the things that resonates so deeply with me. I wish this was in my heart all the time. He says, then I'm staying here in the wilderness with you. Because it's better to be in the wilderness with God than in the promised land without him. I don't think that's how we often pray, is it? We want to get God to just do what we tell him to do. And man, he's God and we're not. Then it says in 44, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so when I saw this text, man, uh, me and Alan were talking about it. It was one of the other reasons I was like, man, I don't know if I want to preach on this, because the last time we had a big sermon on giving, it was me that got to give it. So, and, you know, I was teaching about how God loves a cheerful giver and what's that mean. And just like I told you then, I'll tell you now, pastors shy away from the topic of giving. And it's foolishness. It is foolishness. And I know why they do it. I understand why we all feel reticent to stand up here and say the Bible tells you that you should give. Because it sounds like one of those preachers out there, right? Well, oh, here we go. This is all they want. They're just after my money. But, I, you know, when I talk to we have a thing called Hot Topic in youth where they can bring up anything they want and they can text us a question or ask it out loud. And we'll talk to it from a biblical perspective. We'll give them a, a biblical worldview as best as we understand it. Invariably, there's... Ten questions that come up, roughly. You know, how do I handle people with same-sex attraction? How do I handle, you know, promiscuity? What about uh, obeying our parents when they're difficult? That's some of y'all. <laughs> That's a free thing. Just pray, see if it's you. But um, it is you. <laughs> but here's the deal. We talk about a lot of things. And invariably, every once in a while, somebody will ask about, okay, dinosaurs. And, and it'll be like, that. what about dinosaurs? And I'm like, okay, what about them? I think they're cool. I had some little plastic ones when I was kids, stuff like that, you know. And ultimately what they're asking is, man, did they coexist with man? How long ago were they? And there's a lot of smarter people than me that have a whole lot of opinions on those things. I have opinions on them. Um, you know, did they coexist with man? Uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we talk about it because I don't think that those are gotcha questions. They're not asking it like, okay, well, what about dinosaurs? They're not asking it that way. Hey, man, but what about dinosaurs? I love dinosaurs, and this seems inconsistent, some of the things I've heard. What about them? And so we talk about them, but you know how much we talk about them? A little bit. You know why? Because I, b I believe the Bible addresses them a little bit. We talk about the things that the Bible addresses small, we talk about it a little bit. The things that it talks about a lot, we talk about a lot, except for giving. We don't talk about that even though the Bible talks about giving a ton, a ton. It tells us how that we ought to act with people when they need and how we should be taking care of people, that we shouldn't just be praying for people and go, man, I hope it goes well with you. Hey, I'm hungry. Well, I'm going to pray. No, here's a sandwich and let me pray for you, right? So, <clears throat> and so we're going to talk about it some. Uh, in fact, in a little while, we're going to actually pass the offering plate. We're going to go back to that. We stopped that during COVID uh, for a good reason, I believe. We just, you know, we had, didn't know what it was in the beginning, and we didn't want to infect people that were susceptible to contagion or something like that, but we're going to put it back in today, and you can still continue to give online. You can give the way that you have been giving, but we, we do believe that there's an aspect of passing a plate in front of you that reminds you that this is part of what I'm supposed to be. You know, giving does not make you a Christian, but giving is something that Christians do. 
And when it goes in front of you, guys, by the way, if you're a guest here, you don't need to feel obligated to put anything in that plate. Uh, we'd love you to put the connection card in, if you could. We'd love to know that, that you were here and be able to say thank you for coming and tell you a little bit about us if you want to know. Uh, if you have prayer requests, put that in there as well. But as it passes by today, just, just remind yourself, hey, man, God, this is about me not giving back to you some of what you trusted me with. This is about me trusting you. This is about me believing, just like God can do more with six days a week than I can do with seven, he can do more with me having less of what he's given to me than I can do with all of it. And so, so that's all to the side. We'll talk about that some more in a minute. But before we do, in light of the current, I don't know what, it, what you would call it, the, the social arguments, the governmental arguments that are out there, I would ask this about this passage. Isn't this socialism? Isn't it? They took from people that had and gave it to people that didn't. Scandalous. I told you I was going to be quiet earlier today at one point. <laughs> no, this is not socialism. Why? Because it's not some ruling elite taking from people and doing whatever they wanted to with it, taking it for themselves and maybe distributing some to some people and actually starving almost everybody. It's not that. It's also not somebody walking in the door with their hand out saying, give to me because the Bible commands you to do it. Everything that happened here happened in the, in the, uh, the idea or the, the context of community. They knew who they were. Don't walk in the door going, hey, give me something. Chances are you're not getting anything. We will pray with you. We will talk to you. We will ask if there's other ways that we can help. But you're probably not going to get money in your hand. Because this happened in the context of community. And that's what keeps it from being something bad. See, what happened is they found a commonality in their situation of life where they recognized what God has done for them and those around them. And it became ordinary for them to take care of the needs of their brothers and sisters. It's an ordinary thing in church when you see and you become aware of someone sitting in the pew next to you having a need for you to look and go, hey, God may have made me aware of this situation so that I can help alleviate it. Well, at least it's supposed to be ordinary. You know, it's funny too because not only did they, they see that, hey, I saw the need and I can, so I'm going to take care of it, but not only that, in Acts 4, which Alan will preach about in a few weeks, it ta- teaches that they did something else. It says that they went, hey, man, I, I don't know everybody in the church. I don't know every need in the church. I don't know every ministry that's going to happen. So we're also going to take and sell some of the things that we have, and we're going to lay at the apostles' feet and say, hey, man, we believe that, that God is using you. He knows that there's a need over here that I don't know. I mean, even though we don't have a huge population in our body right now, you don't know everybody in this room. You don't know their story. You don't know what they're going through. But some of the people here, deacons and elders and staff, do. And so they went, hey, man, I, I may not be able to meet that need, but I have so I'm going to give. It says this in Acts 4, 34. It says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, just, and uh, it was distributed to each as they had need. I had a friend tell me this once. I don't remember who it was, but I know it was a friend. He said this to me. He says, you know, maybe we ought to stop asking God, how much do I need to give? Instead, maybe we should ask God, how much do I get to keep? And I will tell you this, too. When we talk about giving, man, it it is so easy because there's so much messed up teaching out there on it that it is easy to do these things with wrong motivations. And I'm going to talk about those real quick, but here's what what I want to tell you. We can give because we feel pressure from leaders of the church or from one another. You know, uh, there there are pastors out there that will tell you, hey, man, you're being a bad Christian if you don't do this. Look, I'll tell you, like I said earlier, giving is what Christians do, and if you're not giving, that's an issue. I'll tell you that. But I have, a, I have an uncle who was at a uh, revival, and I do that on purpose. He was at a revival, and the pastor, during the offering time, came up and said, hey, listen, I want to tell you, brother, God told me you're supposed to put your wedding ring in the offering plate. My, my, my uncle's a former firefighter, too. And he said, <laughs> I laughed right in the guy's face. and goes, well, he'll have to tell me that, too. Be, let me just say this. Be careful of anybody that says, hey, God told me you. Be careful. Unless they quote scripture at you, man, you just be careful. But pastors do that. But I think sometimes anytime giving comes up, we think every pastor, no matter how perfectly they preach on giving, is doing that. How dare he tell me what to do with my money? That my money's an issue. So we can also give out of the false notion, this is funny to me, that God is obligated to give me more money back. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they'll quote to you, a good measure pressed down, shaking together, running over, as if that's what that was talking about. And, and like I said last time when I preached on God loving and cheerful giver, my God is not a rig slot machine. 
that you put money in, pull the lever, and he pays out every time. That is not who he is. He is God and I'm not. I can't manipulate him or push him into doing anything. The only time he is ever obligated to do something is if, if it's something that he has chosen to obligate himself. I used the example earlier. He, he promised them, hey, I'm taking you to the promised land. He said, I don't care how rebellious and sinful you've become. I'm still going to do what I said because I'm me. Okay? And so if you think that, if you believe that you're going to give money and God's going to definitely give you more money back, get ready to be disappointed. It is, it, you're getting nothing out of your offering because it's not an offering. I will tell you this, though. If you give with the right thing and when you trust in him, what you're probably going to get more, back more than money, one, is an ability to utilize your money more correctly. But most importantly, what you're going to get to know is God better because you trust him more. We can also give, and this one is sad to me. We can give with a false notion that God will love us more if we give and less if we don't. I want to be very, very clear about this. When we question God this way, I feel like we're being a very disrespectful spouse. We're God's bride. He settled his love for us. It is a proven fact. And us doubting it is on us, not on him. He settled it when he came and died on a cross. The, 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 the horribleness, the, the excruciating pain that came with that, he endured for me and you. Just to be clear, not just me, but for us. He's proven it. He came to a place that was beneath him. He died on a cross and he rose again so that you and I could have communion with him and one another. And he did that because he loves us at the end. You giving does not make him love you more. You not giving doesn't make him love you less. All of your sins were before him when he chose the cross. He knew it all. The ones that you haven't done yet, no matter how wicked, how bad, no matter what you've done, if you've trusted in him, he's like, I got that one too. And so understand you giving or not giving doesn't change his love for you. In fact, his grace is so good that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? <clears throat> but I will tell you this. The good reason to, to give is because God commands it. We would do well to learn to do what Daddy says. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying, and we should trust him. We've got to learn to trust him and not our ability to produce wealth. Then it says this. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous heart. Praise God we finally get to talk about food. Right? We're there. We're at the Baptist section of Acts 2. They met day by day in the temple. Um, I'm not going to apologize ahead of time, but I'm going to say I'm about to say something hard. Okay? Gird yourselves. Get ready. We've got to stop making excuses for not being here. I'm dead serious. We've got to stop. Unless you have something more godly to do, you should be in this room right now. We, we love the, the streaming service. We praise God for it because we know that we have people out there that cannot be here right now. Cannot be here. They are ill. They have an opportunity to get very ill or something like that. And we love you and we're praying for you. If there's something we can do, we want you to reach out to us because we want to know. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Because you like sitting in your PJs on your couch, drinking your coffee, that is not a more godly reason. Chad and them, Chris make great coffee out here. Okay? You need to be in this room if you can be in this room. I love you. And if you're staying at home for reasons like that, because it's inconvenient, you're wrong. And I love you. Because let's be honest, we do what we want to do. We go to our kids' games, we go to social events but we can't meet with God's people. In this book that I mentioned, Rediscover Church, he says it this way. Talking to his elders and his staff, he said this. Gathering with a church can be inconvenient. So is love. Relationships are messy, but so is love. Vulnerable conversations are scary, right? But so is love. The push towards the virtual church is a push to individualize Christianity. We can debate the wisdom of such a tool for a limited time in an emergency situation such as a pandemic. He also used World War II when they would have blackouts at night. They would tell church, say, man, you can't meet right now because we don't want to get bombed. Fairly legitimate reason, right? But he says this, he goes, yet to offer or encourage the virtual church as a permanent option, even with good intentions, 
hurts Christian discipleship. It trains Christians to think of their faith in autonomous terms. It teaches them that they can follow Jesus as a member of the family of God in some abstract sense without teaching them what it means to be a part of a family and to make sacrifices for a family. We need to find a gentle way, he said, to remind our members that the live stream option is not good for them in the long term. It's not good for their discipleship. It's not good for their faith. We want to be clear to them lest they become complacent and not work hard at gathering with us. So I'm going to quote Alan for a minute. Do not hear what I'm not saying. If there is a reason that you cannot be here, we're not talking to you. I'm not preaching at you right now. I'm just saying that being in this room matters. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because sometimes there's people in this room that just tick you off. And God intended part of our relationships to be friction. Because he wants to push us together so that we can find out the things in us that are nasty. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I hate somebody in this room, if I were looking out here and went, ah, him. I pointed at Travis because I love him and he knows that. (laughs) But if I thought, ah, him. That's a problem with me, not Travis. I don't care what he did. That's a problem with me. And if I'm in this room and I'm praying the things that I'm praying, I'm singing the things that we're singing, God's going to get me. He's going to grab me and go, you better get this right. We'll talk about that in a minute, how you can do that in just a minute when we get to the invitation. So that's, again, free. But the early church did not see gathering together as a burden. They saw it as a joy that helped them with their faith. And part of the problem today is that we don't love what Christ loved and we don't hate what he hated. It is clear that Christ loved the church. We should be eating together. And enjoying each other's company outside the walls. And this is a tough one uh, when I wrote this part because I'm going to apologize right now. I'm not preaching at you about this. I'm preaching to me as well because there's two families I can think of right now that have been trying to get with my family for over a year. I'm sorry. It's on me, not on my wife. I, I, I lead my home. I'm responsible for everything that happens there. Everything may not be my fault. This was my fault. But if I tell y'all, man, we've got to change and do what we say we believe, I either believe this or I don't. We need to be with each other. We need each other. I need you just like you need me. So I say that to say I'm sorry. Love you guys. Um, And there's a whole lot, guys, that we've talked about today. Ultimately, I want, to, I want you to show what happens here. It says praising God and having favor with all his people. There's something that can be said about the attitude that praising God does for someone who believes and trusts in him. Amen. When we find things to praise God about, man, it changes our whole attitude, the way that we can walk through life. I mean, you know, we we look at the trouble in the world, and that's all we see, and that's all we think about, and that's all we're afraid of, and that's all we're concerned with. Instead, we see the sin out there, and we should go, man, hey, you know what? Once I walked in darkness, too, but now I walk in light. Once I was lost, but praise God, now I'm found. And once I was blind... But now I see. We see the problems in the world. Go, man, why don't they just, man? Instead of going, man, but, but you know, for the grace of God, there go I, right? Christ on the cross prayed, man, forgive them, God. They don't know what they're doing. But if we would just find, hey, man, but God, I found in something in you when you got a hold of me. It's enough to praise you for. It's enough to be glad about God. And when we praise God, what happens is we have favor of all the people. When we're these people that see all that God's done in this passage and we're sitting there going, God, you are good, regardless of everything else, you are good. People are going to want to know about it, man. They're going to sit up and they're going to take notice and they're going to start to wonder, what is going on over there? There is something special happening in that church and we're going to get to go, nope. This is ordinary. This is the way it's supposed to be. But you can be a part of it. Let me tell you about who made it this way. And when we find that place where we're trusting God and giving ourselves to him and to one another, then maybe, just maybe, we'll get to say what they said on that day. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is our heart. It's to glorify God, knowing him and making, known, making him known. Now we say be a disciple who makes disciples to, and be the church to the glory of God. Different phrasing, same heart. 
We're supposed to be about him, him first, him only. And because of him, we care about everybody out here, right? First the family, then those outside the family. Why? Because we want to grow the family. But ultimately, even then, you see it ain't us growing it. It's him growing it. God said, I will build my church. Not us, not because some fancy preaching that we do, not some great, you're a great neighbor and a good family member to your people outside, because God, when we trust in him and we allow him to move in us because his presence is with us, he's going to add to our numbers. I believe that with all my heart today, all my heart. And, you know, and there is a ton of stuff that we've talked about today. We're about to have a time of invitation, and when we do, I don't know what you need to deal with. Deal with it, though. Okay, because here's the deal, man. I, I, you know, Bill, my brother, I always quote you, Bill. I don't know if it makes me smart or just, you know, lazy. <laughs> I think it makes me smart. Bill always says, man, for however many people in this room we have, there's that many stories, at least. And I don't know your story. I don't know all of your stories. So I don't know what you need to do with God today. I don't know how you need to respond to him. I'm not your Holy Spirit. But maybe, maybe for some of us, we need to press into one another. Maybe some of you need to give. Maybe some of you need to start studying God's word better. Maybe you need to pray and ask God for his presence. I don't know. I, I don't. But I suspect there are things that everybody in this room could trust God better with. And so I'm going to say this, that during this response time, there are a lot of things that you can or should do. Giving is normal. Praying is a normal response as well. Coming down to the altar and bowing down before God, not before us, is normal. Coming and talking to me and having me pray with you is normal. Going to somebody across the room that you have a problem with and getting right with them so that God can hear your prayers is normal. And I'm going to fuss again. Here's what's not normal. It's not normal for you to pop up as soon as we start singing to go to the bathroom. This is a time to deal with God. This is a time for you to focus and talk to him. If you're sitting there going, man, he doesn't have any right to tell me what to do, fine. Ask God if he wants you to stay in here and deal with him, because I think he does. And so when we sing and when we pray, we're going to start it again back today. We're going to start passing the plates. The deacons, some of the guys are going to come down. They're gonna, we're going to stand. They're going to pass the plates. Do whatever God calls you to do in that, whether it's just, you know, thinking about what you need to be giving to God, whether it's giving or giving your connection card, we're fine with whatever you do with God. But please, 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 take this time seriously. Don't look at it as the thing after the sermon. The thing that's about to happen is much more important than anything I said. This is your opportunity to meet with God. So let me pray.